That's what I love about my kids, man. Is they keep getting older and I stay the same age. Interstellar is next. That's brilliant. (laughs) Welcome in, everybody, into episode 11 of the Movie Goats podcast. John on the mic with Brady and Brian. And today, Christopher Nolan's epic Interstellar starring Matthew McConaughey with just an incredible side cast of characters and I think we picked this one because it looks a little bit like, uh, you know, we're we're doing it in time with Oppenheimer, which is uh, Nolan's huge movie that's out right now. And uh, Brady, did you get to the theaters to see Oppenheimer this week? We're trying to get to the theater to see Oppenheimer, but it is sold out in the big screen. Um, you know, like the we don't have IMAX in Charleston, I don't believe at least. Um, we have, but the AMC has like a PLC or premium large format PLF or something like that. And that's since it's a three hour movie, there's only two showings a day. There's a three forty five showing and like the eight thirty showing and they're all sold out like throughout the whole week. So I'm like, do I just break and go to like a normal one? But then I, when I try to do that, our electricity got knocked out on Sunday. I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs all night. I was like, well, why, why don't I go see Barbie? Barbie sold out. Barbenheimer has taken control of the nation. Everybody's loving it. Everybody's seeing the movies. Movies are back, um, which kind of got me going. And I also had like a movies rock moment today at the cardio cinema because I hadn't had plans on going to the gym today. And my roommate said they're playing Dark Knight inside the cardio cinema. I said, that's perfect. Um, We're doing interstellar podcast later today. Got to go check it out. I get in there and normally it's like, you know, it's a, it's a gym. So it's usually like younger people. Usually a lot, there's a lot of girls that go to the cardio cinema and like do their cardio there. I go in there. It's just a bunch of older men. They're all locked in. And I'm like sitting there on the, I'm on the elliptical just going. And these two old dudes walk in and it was right before the truck chase scene where the Joker's like, they're transporting Harvey Dent and the Joker's is like trying to attack him. Cause he like Harvey Dent said he's Batman. And right when these old men walked in, they turned to each other and said, yes, just in time. So they were pumped. It was the biggest dude's rock moment I've ever seen in the cardio cinema. And it kind of got me pumped for Nolan because he definitely has his finger on the pulse. The fact that the three-hour, a lot of black and white Oppenheimer is a cultural phenomenon, says a lot about his stat- status in the industry and in the culture at large. All right. And up in Northern Virginia, Brian, how was your week? Did you get to see either of the two? mega hits that are out right now and if not what have you been up to i have not seen them i am i mean for better or for worse i think ever since the pandemic i like avoid like crowds for some reason and it's not like i'm scared to get sick really it's more like i don't know it's just like a new habit i have where it's like i'll wait till like the third week that it's out to go see these movies because i you know I haven't been in a full movie theater in a long time, so I do miss them. I feel like I'm not supporting film by uh, that strategy, but it's just my preference, I guess. Um, But Brady, all that talk about power outages and sold out movies, all I could think about was 
when Vincent Chase launched Aquaman uh, years ago. Uh, but uh, anyways. It felt um, like that. Yeah. You well, know, it's funny when even you're saying like the pack theater, like, so the movie I did see uh, this past week was the new Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. And we didn't, we tried to get to the premium format large screen. Those are still sold out, even though it's not, it's not doing numbers like uh, Arbenheimer. But when we went to just see in the normal theater, we could only get the back seat. So we were in the top row looking down. I've never been like looking down at the at the screen. Of course, it's like all everyone I'm with is like, this is sick. We're looking down. I'm like, this is crazy. But also good time at the movies. Cruise did it again. Shout out to the boys. Um, you can't lose a cruise. Facts. <laughs> Wait, but and then following up on another thing you said, you go to a, a gym that's also a theater. Dude, have you not been? I, I've referenced the cardio cinema many episodes. I roll into you, the gold. You referenced gym. it. You've referenced it, but you've never really gotten into what it is. I've means. broken it down a little bit. I go to the Gold's Gym, and inside the Gold's Gym, there's the cardio cinema. It is all dark room with a mo- with a big movie screen. They uh, pipe in the sound through there. They got the little subtitles for if I'm like putting the headphones in. I didn't put the headphones in a day. I was locked in. Um, but it's all cardio machines. You're not allowed to. Allowed, allowed to bring anything in and it's like probably like 12 machines but you're like in a little movie theater and that's where i get a lot if i'm in the the gym i'm going to the cardio theater and it's actually taught me a lot about movies because you can see they, they play the same movie all day and they have a calendar so you can see like if a movie stinks people are out if a movie's a banger like when they played top gun maverick well, packed theater everyone's hanging out everyone's everyone's getting healthier so movies can Honestly, they can like save your life. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's like bringing people, uh, but lowering blood blood pressure, like uh, in, in enhancing oxygen flow. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing when you have a great movie. That's awesome. I feel like gyms need to do more of that. I mean, you've got these swanky like Vita Fitness gyms now, where it's like there's cabanas and a pool and stuff. I'm more into something like that where you've got cardio cinema. Whenever I used to go to the gym, I like, I, I mean, I hit the basketball court. I, I didn't, I didn't hit the weights very much. It was basketball. I would go for a swim. I would hang out in the sauna. You know, you could still get, get your cardio in. You can still get some exercise in. It doesn't have to be the weights. So I, I wish more gyms kind of adopted, uh, I guess, more extracurriculars at the gym. And I love the sauna though. We got the sauna going. I haven't been hitting it as much in the summer. During the winter months, you'll find me sweating it up like a hog inside the sauna. Just really just dripping sweat. There you go. There you go. Well, you did mention Barbenheimer <clears throat> doing numbers. Our film today, Interstellar, $165 million budget, $700 million, or $770 million in sales. This was a phenomenon. This got people going. Huge blockbuster hit. And it was McConaughey, man. Uh, I feel like he had had a few roles where he'd stepped outside of the classic rom-com McConaughey where, you know, we're talking true detective. Um, this was the first real, he, he, McConaughey's never sold out and done the superhero route. This was his big sci-fi action first type of thing. What'd you guys think of, uh, of Maddie McConaughey in this? I do like you say he never sold out. He did do 10 years of only rom-coms, <laughs> to, to be fair. Well, he was typecasted. He was he, typecasted he was for a while. Um, that was all he yeah. could get. That was all he could get for a while. That was, well, yeah, because he, I well, he made some some 
clever moves i feel like because he i mean this is the time he does true detective the same year like he was filming true detective when they approached him for this movie he did dollars buyer club the year before and then the wolf of wall street all like all iconic moment the wolf of wall street is a more iconic moment obviously but um i think he he shows that he's a true movie star in this movie he carries this movie this movie's on his back and it's like the emotional weight of this movie. I think it's it's funny because like if you're people are doing like the little cheap shot, they always say that like Nolan's a cold filmmaker the way they used to say it about Kubrick, which doesn't really make sense. Um, and if you watch this movie, where the whole theme is love is the most powerful force in the universe, and it's just like multiple scenes where you just see a grown man weeping. It's the craziest criticism I've ever heard. He's just, he's clearly not a cold filmmaker. He's very has an emotional thread. I mean, obviously this is probably his most emotional going for the most emotional beats but i think it doesn't work unless you have a guy like mcconaughey really put really putting it forth i think that's what i was going for was this was his movie star movie this was you know his top gun if you will something like that where he's he's carrying a lot of action he's saving the world um you know i didn't it wasn't his fault that he was typecast for for a long time but he did make some decisions here with dallas buyers club true detective where he became more of a gritty actor and someone that people take a lot more seriously. Yeah, and he, he had dipped his toe into this kind of stuff a little bit, but you're right, he kind of fell into more of the rom-coms. I mean, he did the the movie uh, Contact, which was another space travel science fiction movie. Um, one of the that best. I, one of, that's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, so I mean, he's he, he like dipped his toe in this stuff a little bit, and then he got away from it for whatever reason, and then, you know... You I know what, he was funny, he was in Amadeus. No, not Amadeus, sorry. He was in... um. Amistad the Spielberg movie which was like Oscar bait and everyone kind of rejected him in that because I think it's he's very much a modern man and seeing him in like period pieces didn't really fit so you could tell they, they tried to use him at first and even in contact people complained about his role in that and I feel like no one really knew how to use him so they just went with the easy route of making because he is so charming to put him in all the rom-coms I felt like I mean we could call it the kind of the reconnaissance I guess when he came back into Dallas Buyers Club and Interstellar and uh true detective i felt like for a moment there he he might have been the biggest star in the world he, he wins his oscar he gives the big speech he yeah. was he was on a heater for sure yeah yeah <clears throat> but there is no shortage of supporting actors that come up in this one for me i did not do any research i did not know the cast besides mcconaughey you hadn't seen it before I had not. It's my first time. And it was a who's who of just people rolling in, even if they were just in the movie for a couple scenes. You know, you got Anne Hathaway, obviously, is in the movie for a good time. Obviously, Murph grows up to be Jessica Chastain. Timothy Chalamet as the little kid growing up to be Casey Affleck. Then Murph starting to date Topher Grace. Matt Damon is in the movie uh john lithgow yeah. michael crane all these guys michael crane, just, yeah all these guys who just bring it oh, but what did you guys think of the supporting cast i i mean it's you're right i mean i like i've seen it probably it's a long movie so and it's an epic so it's not one of those movies i've seen a hundred times it, it is on tv a good amount but I've, I've probably seen it i don't know five six times um and every time i feel like I'm like, oh yeah, that person's in this movie because the cast is so impressive. Like Timothy Chalamet, 
that one always sneaks up on me. I'm like, I totally forgot he was in it. This time when I watched it, I totally forgot he turned into Casey Affleck, which I actually think is like really pretty good casting. Like you don't often see a famous child actor turn into a famous adult actor in a movie. I feel like um, it's either one or the other, you know? So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought that that was really well done. They, they kind of look alike. Like Casey Affleck looks like a, a grittier older Chalamet in a way you know put on a few pounds kind of thing but um, he definitely like after Chalamet's been farming for like 10 years he could look yeah. like Casey Affleck yeah and and I one of the like I write down notes as I watch these movies now that I literally have a note here that just says John Lithgow kicks ass because I think he's so awesome in this and he's so much like uh he plays the same character in the one of the Planet of the Apes movies where he's it's funny it's like he's always playing on the piano in that movie i'm like i get that mixed up i'm like okay when is he gonna play play claire de lune like he does in planet of the apes um because they are very similar but man he is a great actor he really is underrated and he was the best feature by far that dexter ever had if you guys were into dexter he was one of the killers in one of the seasons and i mean it he like overpowers that show almost because he was so good as like a serial killer in that that show. So well, he is like he he just did he did that blowout. He played a serial killer. He's, he's yeah, sad. yeah. He's all. I mean, he's done like sitcoms and then he's done like serial killer roles. Now he's like the gentle grandpa dad, and it's like, I mean, he's he's just a great actor. Brady, who did you get? Who did you get excited for when they popped up on the screen? It's tough when like I always get excited. Obviously, Nolan works with Michael Caine a lot and you always get excited when Michael Caine rolls in because you know he's going to have like his emotional where he starts getting upset <laughs> and I got like I get fired up whenever whenever he was there I always love to see Wes Bentley show up in anything <laughs> like <laughs> you know he now he's a big shot on um Yellowstone but <laughs> and he, and he gets taken out pretty early in this but he always just like I don't know his vibe is so interesting Dude, um, I mean he's always like he's Ricky Fitz to me from American Beauty and I can't get that out of my head and I know most people's like oh he's the guy from the Hunger Games I'm like no 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 that's Ricky Fitz man like no 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 no, no. American Beauty's always stuck with me there's he's actually a funny from we are your friends with Efron <laughs> <laughs> I you know it's funny about what Wes Bentley I'm like I'm fascinated about these like uh these like small documentaries from like the 2000s there's one that came out it was called my big break and coincident I've never been able to find a copy of this because it's not available streaming because Wes Bentley's people have like stopped it and you can only order it on DVD through the, the website and basically when Wes Bentley was living in a house with a bunch of other struggling actors they were someone one of the guys started filming a documentary about him and then he blew up because of um uh, american beauty so like while he's living with them they filmed it and of course like and then apparently west bentley had like a really bad heroin addiction so <laughs> like this documentary oh, captured all of this and i like want to watch it so bad but i'm like <laughs> i'm not gonna order the dvd on this bootleg website <laughs> there's no way to stream it and I'm, uh, because that's like the most fascinating thing in the world that it was five struggling actors there's zero chance that they're gonna break out and they just happen to have a guy who became a huge star literally overnight and then be he became big enough that they were able to squash the documentary so that's why little segue for that will not be the double feature, but just a little shout out to West Bentley and his career. But she could well, he, he came back. I think he finally got his uh got it got everything under control and now he's like obviously in successful movies and TV shows and stuff. Yeah. Good for him. Well, there's 
someone who's not in the cast, but essential to this movie, Brian, someone very near and dear to you, Hans Zimmer. Give me your thoughts on the score, your thoughts on Zimmer in general. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know where to start. I'm so excited to talk about Hans Zimmer. I'm so excited to talk about this soundtrack. I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's a hot take, I know. Um, maybe it just sounds hot, but then when you think about it, it's hard to really say what your favorite uh, score is ever for a movie. I think that the Interstellar soundtrack is the greatest score in the history of movies. I, I actually believe that. I think that this movie is is really great. This soundtrack takes your emotion to another level. Like, you know, like we watched Raiders of the Last Ark and John Williams is, is probably, he's the GOAT. Like he's the greatest of all time. And his soundtrack's amazing. It's like, he creates a good theme for the movie that, that kind of keeps coming back. He also does a really good job, like creating like emotion that like something scary or startling in a movie. He creates that kind of visceral reaction. What Hans Zimmer does in Interstellar, I think is more like, it creates an emotion. Like I almost felt myself like tearing up when he leaves to go on the mission and he's leaving Murphy behind because of the music. I'm like, I have no real reason to like, you know, I haven't fully been bought into this mother daughter relationship, but this music is making me emotional right now because it's so well done. And it's also amazing how it's like, it's him saying goodbye to his daughter, but it's also building into the launch of the, of the actual mission. And the music works like from start to finish, it's this slow buildup. So anyways, I love it. Hans Zimmer himself has said like John Williams is the greatest of all time and he is, but Hans Zimmer is amazing. And I think when it's all said and done, there probably will be a discussion of Zimmer versus John Williams and who's been more influential. And, you know, they're very different though. I, I think, I think Hans Zimmer is much more kind of modern. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I am always in the top point, like 3% on Spotify for Hans Zimmer listeners every year. Because when I work, I listen to Hans Zimmer while I'm, you know, cranking out emails, doing whatever. I'm always listening to the Interstellar soundtrack. Uh, honestly, uh, the Last of the Samurai soundtrack is pretty awesome. The Superman soundtrack is great. The Inception soundtrack, there's so many good ones that, that he's done that are really easy to work to. And they kind of get you like laser focused, but yeah uh here here for any additional Hans Zimmer comments now he right now he's doing a live show he's he's touring around Europe and he and this like 25 person band they just play music from the soundtracks that he's created um and it's really cool they like rock out they've got like electric guitars doing crazy stuff that normally is just the piano and in, in the movies and it's really cool I like that's like all my bucket list would be to go see one of those shows so Obviously a big Zimmer fan. Last thing I'm going to say, though, this picture, he did not win the Academy Award for Best Original Score that year. Do you guys know what won? Hit me. No. Alexander, okay, I'm not, uh, I don't know how to pronounce my French names, but Alexander Display, Display, I, I think it's Display or Display, whatever, um, for uh, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. That's plot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, they should redo that one. <laughs> the soundtrack's pretty good, but it's not interstellar level. 
I I will say this. I'm in a 0.1% of John Williams uh, as of last year. Um, so I, I I go to bat for my Williams. Um, and he does he does have movies where he goes with a more emotional thing and but i will say this i'm usually uh when you say the most influential in modern sound scoring i think for sure hans zimmer like you know after the dark knight everyone was trying to emulate him and stuff um that sound like you know that heavy bass kind of thing and i think this for me is definitely his best score i feel like like you're saying like just him driving away with tears in his eyes her being held back by Lithgow because she wants to say goodbye, but she didn't get her chance to. And you're just like, ah, did you want him to go back? But then like, that would be worse because then she'll think he's coming back, but he's not coming back. So it's like, and it just elevates it to a point where I was definitely, I, I agree with you. This is one of the great scores for as far as like a movie goes. And it just like, and you, I mean, you see it, it's been memed to death, whatever with, it's on TikTok and Instagram, which obviously dilutes it in a way that is kind of annoying. But like when you watch it, this movie, it's undeniable. Like it just totally elevates the scenes and makes you really let you know, like feel the emotions that's intended. Yeah. What's, what's really cool too, is um, when Hans Zimmer created the soundtrack, he said his inspiration for it was his son. Um, Cause he had like, I guess he had minimal knowledge about um, exactly what the movie was about. And this movie is so much about fatherhood and about like kind of the feelings of being a parent and being away from your, your kid and Hans Zimmer, like actually kind of helped inspire that for Christopher Nolan. Like he heard the soundtrack, he talked to Hans Zimmer about it and Zimmer was like, yeah, a lot of my inspiration was like, I was thinking about what it means to be a dad and kind of like putting that into music. And uh, Christopher Nolan's like, that is, that's the soul of the movie now. Like I'm, like he's gonna run with that so it actually kind of impacted the way the 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 screenwriting went too is actually the soundtrack had an influence on that so that's pretty cool to to hear that yeah and apparently they said that like he didn't he didn't give him any script like you're saying and he just gave him a one single page of a father leaving his child for work a small like a short story basically and he told him to run with that which is kind of nuts that yeah. you're able to he took that and grew it into the, to whatever it became yeah one last person I wanted to shout out was Hoyt Van Hoyt Tema, uh, the cinematographer of this thing. Because when I was watching it, and I'm not gonna, you know, step on my review or my score right now, but this blew me away. You know, the audio blew me away, but so did all the visual work, the shots, the set pieces, the scapes, etc. And this is someone that Nolan's worked with on Dunkirk and he's back for Oppenheimer. He also did uh, one of the James Bonds, Brady Spector at Astra as well. Are you familiar with this guy's work? Because I was blown away. I think it was like, yeah, I mean, it, this is the first movie he did with him after working with um, the same guy. Sorry, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head who was his cinematographer who did all his movies previously. And um I think it's it, it it works perfectly with the space it's the the space stuff. It looks just as good as anything's ever looked. I think a lot of that also has to do with um, using the models and stuff like that. Because I think the the reason everything looks good is like the sh- the way shadows fall and the light of like this you know because the sun is positioned and they move the, the the camera moves with the movement of the spaceships and stuff like that. And I think it yeah it, it was something to behold watching this one when you just see like. A lot of movies nowadays, and I know I always bring it up, that have just become kind of like 
CGI sludge in the background where just everything's happening in the background. You can't really keep track of anything. And this one just felt very um, timeless is the word I'm looking for, where you could just, you feel like you show this movie to anyone at any, any point and they'll be like, that looks incredible. It looks real. And I think a lot of that has to do with like the way that this movie was lit and the way it was shot, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, but uh, this guy's name is Kip Thorne. I think it was like the physicist who helped produce and supported like a lot of the movie. And these shots are like amazing, but they're also realistic. Um, like Kip Thorne and Christopher Nolan had like an agreement that Christopher Nolan was not going to write anything in the movie that defied current laws of physics. So like nothing in this, there's actually one thing in this movie that pissed off physicists. It was the ice cloud that they see on the second planet when they run into Matt Damon because an ice cloud couldn't physically happen. Apparently that was the one thing that all these famous like astronomers and physicists had an issue with. But like when you see gargantuan in this movie and it's this massive circle, that's actually like what a black hole looks like. Like the first image of a black hole, I think they were able to capture a few years ago. And if you look at it, it, it looks like gargantuan, which is actually really cool that it looks so entertaining in a movie and it's actually realistic. It's also just a sick name for a black hole gargantuan. I mean, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of all the names, whether it be Lazarus or gargantuan or uh, any of that in this. But, um, you know, without touching on too much beforehand, should we get into a little bit of the plot then? I'll, let's do a little Nolan corner real quick. Yeah, um, by all means. Yeah. I think because it's interesting that this is coming off of. I like that when I, when you look at his filmography, you know, he does obviously does Batman Begins in 05, but then he didn't do like three in a row that he did the prestige, then the dark Knight, then inception that he's the definition of like, you know, the old adage one for you, one for me, where he got to do his original stuff. And then he does interstellar after the dark Knight rises. And obviously and it's funny. Cause you know, Spielberg was the guy originally attached to this project um, that his brother, it was actually his brother who wrote the original script for Spielberg's project after Spielberg dropped, he said, let's bring on um, my brother to direct, which is kind of a flex. He'd be like, Hey, you want to have the guy who directed the dark Knight uh, direct this. And so they brought him on Nolan rewrites the script um, with his brothers. So they kind of combined drafts. And I think it's fascinating that he, he, he had the, the, the power of this time to just pull something like this off. Cause you can just tell that if anyone else makes this movie, it's going to be a different movie. Um, especially even, even Spielberg at the time, I don't think he would have gone as practical with the effects as Nolan did. Um, Cause I think Spielberg is more of like a terms to be like, he looks to be like more of an innovator versus Nolan looks to be more of like a classicist. Um, but then it's funny, like from there he does like after this, he does Dunkirk, then Tenet, then Oppenheimer. I feel like it's corny. Cause he kind of became like the really good director at the film bro, which no one even knows what film bro means anymore because it's become so diluted. Um, but he's like, it's just, if you just look at what his, his body of work, really impressive. I know because people were hated on Tenet. I love Tenet. I thought Tenet was incredible. When I saw it, I saw it in IMAX. We were the only ones in the, in the theater. Um, <laughs> the COVID, COVID times, we were literally like the only ones in the theaters. It was nuts. Um, and then obviously Oppenheimer is kind of everything coming full circle. But I feel like there's few people operating on his level, making movies as smart as he does, but they're always for the most part outside of tenant which obviously people bumped up to against but i think it would have been if you watch in a theater with your sole focus it would have 
played better for people. But for the most part, all his movies kind of work for the general audience while also working on another level. Like, cause I'll say it, this movie, I don't entirely understand the plot, but the thing I know about, like just seeing the craftsmanship and play, I trust that it makes sense. It's not like some movies where you watch it, where you're like, I don't understand that. And I'm sure if I pick it apart, it would just, all the threads would fall apart. I know that if I really wanted to go look into this and start pulling the threads, they would all stay tight. Cause I know like clearly the work's been done. And I feel like there's few people that are operating on the level he does in the, and the fact that he's a contributor to the script. He's, you know, obviously direction. And I just think, yeah, it's just something that's really impressive. And I'm glad that with Oppenheimer, it's clearly showing that, you know, his career has paid off that he can make a movie like that and have audiences still show up. Yeah. I think, I guess, Brady, do you feel like interstellar is his swinging for the fences moment so far? It's funny. Cause it's like almost inception was that cause yeah. that, that's such a bizarre movie, right? Like on paper, like I'm going to make a movie about people that go into dreams and plan ideas and then, so I would think that, but then this is almost, this is him going for 2001, right? So that's like, like, this is him. I, 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 when I was younger, I remember when I first saw this, I'd had, I had like, you know, I was, you know, it's 2014. So I was a senior in college. Um, You know, I'm smart. I think I'm smarter than I am. So I'm, I come out of it and I'm like, he thinks he's Kubrick, but he's actually James Cameron. And that's not a bad thing. He should be happy with it. I watch it now. And I'm like, now he's, he's definitely not Kubrick. Nobody's Kubrick, but he's also not like, James Cameron he's it's almost like it's, it's almost like it's like Spielberg to some extent in the sense that clearly without like you know this is obviously minimizing things but like he's his own guy clearly he has his own voice and own style but just the way that he can do a crowd pleaser that is so complex in this way so maybe it is more like more Kubrick than I gave credit because I feel like that was that was too like pithy of me back in the day but like he's operating on a different level I feel like and even like re-watching it now I didn't give it as much credit as it as I should have back then because I also think we had more movies like this, like original movies taking swings like this. Which I feel like now, with the bombs of so many franchise movies that have been happening with the bloated budgets, I think we might be getting back to those original movies with a success of like an Oppenheimer and things like that. We might finally be getting a, a renaissance of movies. I'm hoping for original movies going going forward. I know that uh, Scorsese's got one coming out in October, but. Do you think that Nolan is the only one that could really pack theaters with a three-hour epic at, at this at this time and where we are? Um, Tarantino, um, Tarantino, and maybe Scorsese. Uh, those are about like as far as names go. I mean, like you have like the Jordan Peele, um, and now maybe Greg Gerwig. <laughs> I feel like those are the uh, those are the names. I mean, I hate to say this, but I think there are certain directors that could do it with the James right, con- the right yeah, content. Yeah. yeah, I think it, yeah, it depends. Like, I can see the Coen brothers doing an epic or like Paul Thomas Anderson doing an epic, but it's got to be the right content. But, but I don't think that they're, those aren't the names that necessarily would get the mass audience rolling out. Like a James Cameron can do Avatar yeah. for three hours and everyone's yeah. going to show up. Like, obviously all the film lovers will show up for like a Coen brothers through our epic, but I mean, did you... Um, did a lot of people roll in for the tragedy of Macbeth on, yeah, on Apple? That's what I mean, though. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, the Coen brothers, I feel like they probably packed theaters for like True Grit, but I mean, True Grit was like, I think, the number one at the time. Yeah, but yeah, right. I mean, they don't, they, they haven't had the same, like, I would say commercial success, but it's like, I, I agree with you. I think Christopher Nolan's hard to compare to anybody because 
what he's done is he he continues to use this the element of time as a major theme and plot driver for all of his movies, like all of his movies, really, maybe not so much Batman, but certainly his originals. Time is an aspect of it and nobody has done it like him and nobody has done it as well as him. I feel like there have been movies out there that people have tried to create that are like Memento or maybe like Inception in a way, but nobody's pulled it off the way that he has. So I don't know. I felt like when I was watching Interstellar, I was like, I feel like, you know, this does feel like him swinging for the fences and this is his home run movie because what we're trying to do is like this space travel movie where you are going through black holes and we're traveling to a new galaxy. And the second major theme of this movie is they're trying to solve the equation of gravity, which is just like, is there a more ambitious thing to try to write and do it in a way that like won't piss off scientists and will entertain people and won't confuse people? I mean, it's really impressive that he, I feel like, stuck the landing with Interstellar. I mean, people have their issues with it, and I think it does deserve maybe some critique here and there, but I feel like he definitely stuck the landing for a movie that is incredibly ambitious. Like, I'm looking at his, like, just filmography. He's, only, he's done, like, was it 12 movies? Maybe a little less than that. Um, and, like, he had, just, like, the idea that you have, like, an, an insomnia in there. That's like his first like studio movie, you know, he does Memento, which is kind of like the independent movie, obviously following his like the one he made on his like on weekends over the course of like a year, years. But like, I, I'm i just impressed. Like, you know, and, and if you ask people what their favorite Christopher Nolan movies, I feel like it's a lot of different answers. Like the prestige is the cool answer. That's what like the film people will say, like prestige is his best movie. Like, um, obviously, the Dark Knight, it would probably be the casual person or, or Inception. Um, but like. I mean, I I think Insomnia is fantastic. I, is it his best? I don't probably not, but like I'll go to bat for that any day. Like I'll I'll, I'll any movie where you have Pacino who can't sleep for days <laughs> and he's just getting more crazy as the movie progresses. That inherently is a good movie. <laughs> getting pranked by Robin Williams. You just getting right. prank calls from Robin Williams and <laughs> you're right though. Like I feel like there's more debate on what is your favorite Christopher Nolan movie than like any director because I said. Hey, Dunkirk. And I like my friends think I'm crazy because I say Dunkirk, but that's my favorite Nolan movie. Incredible. Um, and it's at the bottom of a lot of people's lists. I'm like, how? <laughs> I think it's his best. Like that, yeah. The, even like the Dark Knight movies, like like the cool answer is to say Batman begins the best of his trilogy. And then you have like the weirdos that are like Dark Knight Rises is actually the best. I don't, I don't know about that. But like it, but it's still, you know, really impressive uh feat to pull off. And I think Dunkirk. I think I need to rewatch Dunkirk because I feel like that in theaters, I was blown away. That was one where like, there was no questions. I walked out of that. I was like, banger. But then again, when I walked out of Tenet, I was like, banger. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's like, and that's why I'm really excited. I'm like, I'm not somebody who needs to see a movie opening weekend because like, I want all the conditions to be perfect. Like, uh, like Oppenheimer, like I, the only thing I'm worried about is like, everyone's trying to spoil it on social media. I just am like excited to get in the theater and see it. I just don't, I, I, I just want it to be great. I, I want my experience to be perfect. And, and I'm almost like, I don't want, I, I do this sometimes. I like, I, I'm like put off seeing a movie because I'm like, I don't know. Like, like the anticipation for me is, is just as much a part of it as seeing the actual movie. Yeah. I guess real quick, I, we, we talked about his appreciation for Kubrick. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, he, he had, I, th- I don't think you guys said this to me, but he had an interview with Rich Eisen recently like the guy from ESPN or NFL network or whatever they asked him what movies he like is into or like he rewatches a lot 
And first of all, he said Kubrick. I don't remember what movie he said specifically, but he's like, I'm a big Kubrick guy. So any Kubrick movie that's on, I'm going to watch it. He's like, there are other movies that like when it's on, I'm watching it like uh, that. The Ricky Bobby. Talladega Nights. <laughs> that was he went from Kubrick to Talladega Nights. And Rich Eisen was like, what? Like you're into Talladega Nights? He's like, oh, yeah, which is just amazing. I mean, yeah. Shout out to a friend of the program, Russ, who was recently on a flight with Ed Norton and said that he was watching 40 year old virgin. So, I mean, (laughs) the stars, they're just like us. Yeah, exactly. Well, we start out with I didn't realize this. I thought I I definitely thought I knew it in the moment. Like we opened up with those interviews with people discussing the Dust Bowl. And I didn't realize they're actually taken from like the Ken Ken Burns documentary from like 2012 called like the Dust Bowl. and so basically you see that the, in the future, all we got is corn. <laughs> There's nothing else. Dust bowls, like the earth has become in, inhospitable for growing crops. Okra is done. I, it's very interesting that that like okra is like the, is on its last stand. And I'm like, is okra just, is that one of those scientific things where they're like, that is a really resilient plant. So we're going to, that's why it's the second to last one. Or like, was somebody like the only, we got corn and okra. I'm like really pushing for the okra. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to crack the code on that. Also, this leads us to the great question. We I'm just gonna skip straight straight to the Yankees game. Um, <laughs> they the go to a Yankees game, and it's obviously they're playing it in like smaller than a minor league size field. And then Lithgow throws some shade up popcorn. He's like, I wish I, I wish we had hot dogs instead of popcorn. That you shouldn't eat popcorn at a baseball game. I call cap on that. I love popcorn at a baseball game. <laughs> Overly salted, you know, like what, what do we have any thoughts? Like, I feel like that's like a total viable snack for a baseball game on that. Popcorn plays at any sporting event, any sporting event. Um, obviously, peanuts are more of the baseball's, you know, specialty. You go peanuts, probably sunflower seeds, Cracker Jacks, but popcorn absolutely plays. Um, Cracker Jacks popcorn. Right. So they, I bet they, that's I what they should say, add. As much as Nolan, uh, you know, converses with scientists and whatnot, he needs someone to help him with his sports uh, in movies because this was just, it's, it was some horrendous baseball being played. Uh, but that's what that makes sense. That they're, they're like baseball players stink. Who's playing baseball at that point? They're like the Harlem Globetrotters. Fair yeah, enough. I guess it kind of makes sense. I feel like he called up Kevin Costner for like the <laughs> Field of Dreams vibes that were going on. Uh, who were they playing? Did they like say who they were playing? I, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell who the Yankees were playing. But I will say that stadium kind of looked sick. Like very, very, like it, I guess it wasn't hard to get tickets because McConaughey was telling this teacher like, you know, we're going to the baseball game tomorrow. But it was kind of a packed house. Probably like a 800 person stadium no no seats in the outfield oh i love like the no signs on the fence no advertising or anything very wholesome experience but yeah i mean you do need a hot dog <laughs> which is I, funny like okay oh, i was gonna say i do like the uh, the apocalypse that's going on in in this movie like is it the most maybe accurate thing like i don't know i i know that um some people have had issue with it because they say like it's going to take like hundreds of thousands a year for our oxygen to run out so that's not really realistic but are they running out of oxygen though 
I don't know. I, they never I, talk about that. It's the food that's going to run out that they're worried about. I, I was reading about it earlier. Some biologist. It was an ozone issue, right? Well, well, yeah, I guess. And well, they talked about how his nitrogen was going to take over the, the oxygen, and that's when we wouldn't be able to breathe. So it was like food and oxygen is, issue going on. And I guess maybe also the oxygen issue is probably why they can't grow anything. But both of those things are kind of at play here. But what I think it does well is like it it, it feels like it could happen, and it it doesn't take away from the rest of the movie. Like you're not sitting there asking more questions about why is the world having these issues? Like they did the explanation pretty quickly. They depict it anytime they're on earth. And I think it just works really well. Like I don't think anybody has issue with it. And um, I don't know if I'm choosing like a good subtle apocalypse setting. I think Nolan did a good job with that. I think it worked. And the fact that he used actual footage of this has happened in places in the earth obviously there's a precedence for it. So it's not a huge stretch of the mind they're literally using actual documentary footage. And then yeah. like, I think one of the best world building moments is when they bring out like your daughter brought the old textbook into school and it said that we landed on the moon. Obviously that was propaganda to beat the Russians. All that played perfect. Cause you can totally see how that sort of messaging would totally play, you know, like, you know, the, you know, air quotes, fake news, how just like once something is said as fact, then enough people will accept it. It becomes fact. Why yeah. did they? Why did they say it was propaganda? Because well, they were I, saying that they wanted people to focus on the farming and the food. Okay, so it was literally just make, it was yeah. literally just focusing students on stuff that would make us survive better on Earth. Yeah, it's not just well, students. I think they're just the people in general. They said it was wastefulness and we okay. don't want to like celebrate that in our schools. So they nice. essentially, which is actually very relevant today now that textbooks are uh, getting kicked out of classrooms. Yeah. So, well, yeah. it's like the excesses and even like the idea that they're like the, the, pe the people would be like so against that. And, he, and one of the reasons this movie came about is that they were like Jonathan Nolan was upset that they shut down the NASA space exploration program. This is like an actual thing that happened, you know, like we're not going to Mars anytime soon, which led to all those private companies saying they're going to go to Mars. Uh, Elon told us we'd be there by 2021. Uh, still, waiting, still waiting on that. But, um, but like, it's funny. It was a thing that's happened. We, you know, it's cause it is, there's a, there is a, a reasonable question of why spend so much money to go elsewhere at the same time. I, as some, I'm just going to say it. I'm very fascinated by space travel. I think it's a worthy endeavor. I know <laughs> I know there's, there's a lot of stuff we need to fix on Earth, but there's something to be said about making those, looking for what's next, the next thing. I think that's a part of human nature, to looking for that next thing to con continue to pr progress. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But, we, but we get introduced to McConaughey. Um, they're drinking beers. Here's a question I was wondering. Do you think that this is, this is, this, is this beer made of corn? They yeah. don't got wheat here. Like Four Loco was? Four yes. Loco? Isn't like... <laughs> was Four Loco made of corn? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So that's probably what they're dealing with, I think. But, I I mean, oh, so the the one intro we have is that we have we have the daughter Murph, which is funny. I looked at that original Jonathan Nolan script before Christopher Nolan worked on it, and, the, and Murph's a guy, um, which is interesting. So that's clearly like Nolan. I think Nolan has daughters, so he probably made that, like, you know, like that was like that personal experience. So he, she says she's like a ghost in inside her uh, room, 
And everyone's like giving her guff, you know, this and that. And he also had that thing where they're placing, he's like, your son doesn't get to go to college. He has to be a farmer because the world needs farmers. Um, and that's all, I think that like, they do a lot of world building. I, I texted you guys at some point when I was watching it, because like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Because up that first like 45 minutes is kind of perfect where every little piece of information just keeps building out this world, even though it's only showing you like cornfields. And then they find that, um, flying jet drone that's where they introduced that theme song for the first time where they're driving through the cornfields yeah. um, which apparently you know and famously nolan they actually painted uh, or planted hundreds of yard hundreds of miles of corn and then sold it for profit after the movie because it was better it was easier than cgi um but ultimately they find that the ghost is providing coordinates through the dust that lands in the house and then he has that great line where she's like, you don't even know where you're going. He's like, that's why you can't come. And I think the, the, the Nolan understands like set up and pay off so perfectly. They have that genius moment where he's driving to the coordinates and she's under the blanket and she pops up. Then later on when he's driving back to go to space without her and she's crying and leaving him, he lifts the blanket, hoping she'll be there and she's not. And you're just like the heartbreak you have in that moment. Yeah. That those little moments, that's where you're like, this guy's operating on another level because you know he he has that visual storytelling down. Where those little moments can be say more than any words ever could. Yeah. But they basically they make it to that uh, secret NASA base. Michael Caine rolls in. Um, he's hanging out with his daughter, um, Anne Hathaway, uh, Brant, uh, and just I, I do love that like. Uh, when they roll in, he's like, I used to know uh, Professor Brandt. And she's like, well, actually. <laughs> uh, also, they, I love that TARS greets them when they get there. And TARS is like the security guy. Uh, and he's just yeah. holding it down. And I was like, when McConaughey and TARS were talking trash to each other, each other and McConaughey is like, I have, I have grunts like you, like mowing my grass. I just love that so much. I was like, McConaughey like carried that scene so well that he's like talking trash to a robot. I was like, that could have been so corny, but it actually like worked really well. Yeah, I think it, and that's like a credit to it's almost like where, where again, where they say like Nolan's cold. I think it's a similar way where people don't think Spielberg's funny, but all his movies have humor in it. Nolan does that same thing where his movies are sneakily have those humorous moments that play like you don't imagine Nolan ever making a straight comedy but he's able to inject humor in a way that really like, again, builds out to the real world and creates this texture to it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then they, they reach out and they say to him, like, listen, we don't know what brought you here. Obviously there's a gravity anomaly. We were focused on gravity anomalies. Your daughter told us there's a gravity anomaly, Um. but we're sending, we already sent out what is it, like 12 ships or eight ships um, through a black hole and if you you're the guy, you're the only one who's ever actually flown because everyone else has only been in the simulator. It's time. There's a reason you were brought to us. You got to go. You don't know when you're going to come back. Here's my question. Would you go? I mean, OK, well, add on to this that literally something out there is pushing the books, sending Morse code to his living room, and it says stay. And Murph tells him this. So like this potential greater being is telling you to stay and not go. 
and McConaughey leaves. But she hits him with a stay when he's already he, after he's made his decision. So I think in his mind, he probably is like, oh, she's just kind of trying to get me to stay. That is, a, yeah, you're right. But that to me would be like a deal breaker. I'd be like, wait a minute. You can, you got to tell me about more about this message that you decoded. <laughs> uh, but I, I do I'm, think there's a little, sorry. I'm not a, little, a dad. I'm I not, guess the question is, if you have kids and you know there's a chance you might not be able to come back, you're an only parent. But if you don't go, it could be the end of humanity as we know it. So basically it's that question of- Because of that, directly in your life. You're saying you're definitely going? Because of that, yeah. Because if you are the only person that can fly this plane, I mean, I feel He's like- not the only one. They have the people in the simulator. Yeah, but you know you are. And so if you if you are the most equipped to protect, potentially save the world, and they're telling you your daughter's generation is going to be the last anyway, like, you got to try. I wouldn't count out that there is a little bit of selfishness going on here too that he is an explorer and he wants to do this mission yeah there's a little bit of that it's not just straight up you know i leave my daughter to help save the world there's also like i kind of do want to see this and i want to travel and i'm passionate about this and i think you know he's it's clear in that conversation that he's had with the principal and the teacher that he's kind of fed up being a farmer he doesn't want to be a farmer (laughs) like he's mad that there aren't any engineers anymore but we didn't run out of television screens we ran out of food like so i think maybe it is like a here i'm gonna prove it to people that you know me being an astronaut at one point was worth it yeah i think it makes sense that i think you're i think you kind of nailed it he wants to go because people have been trained someone else could go on this mission there's not necessarily you know i think he just wants that and i think that's where it that's why he's so upset with himself later. Cause I think he knows that he went for maybe selfish reasons. Um, Cause like, I feel like it, most space travel, you're just like, it's a machine. A lot of it, you, they have a TARS. You kind of go in yourself. He doesn't know that once you go through that black hole, I'm going to actually do some flying and some stuff. Cause it's, I think it's so much of a question mark and it's such a long shot. I don't fault him for it. Um, but, but because he saved humanity ultimately, but I think a lot of it is that selfishness, which I think is really interesting because I think it has to, it's a commentary on parenthood on like how much of your life becomes for your children. Once you, you know, once you have, once you have kids, you're not only living for yourself anymore. Right. Um, you're living for, you know, you're obviously your family, your, you know, your spouse. And, but, um, yeah, I thought it was, it's just interesting how he makes Obviously, I, the movie's long enough. They don't need to have him, like, go back and forth. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> he, it's like a brief conversation with Michael Caine. Michael Caine's like, it should probably be you. <laughs> that was that was Bane. I, that wasn't Michael Caine. I don't know where that came from. I do from. like but, the fact that they moved this part of it along pretty quickly. For as yeah. long as the movie was, they really got to the mission pretty quickly. That's where, like, yeah. they did a lot of world building, a lot of character building. You kind of got everybody's thing pretty swiftly yeah i think the most effective relationships in the movie are definitely uh mcconaughey coop and his family i think that there's not a whole lot there with the other astronauts like obviously him and hathaway have a bit of a relationship but in terms of like creating emotion for me as a viewer i was like more bought into his relationship with his family than what was going on with the crew for sure 
Yeah. And then, so then they go up and they, they have that like heart wrenching scene. I think I probably tried. I'm not, I'll admit it. I'll own up to it when he, when he's driving away and the music's building up and you're just like, ah, stay, stay. You're just like, it's just heart wrenching. And then they just cut to him like flying into the space. The music's still going. Um, and it's just like, and then he's doing the incredible special effects where you're just taken by the ships. A lot of it is the lighting, the way the lighting striking shadows across the ships. I think that's really what drives home that realism. And then they get up there and they're like, all right, uh, time to go to sleep. And then they just really start laying it on where he's like, all right. Uh, and he doesn't go to sleep like everyone else does. He goes and like looks at the video monitor and then and then they he talks to like you know Lithgos on his message and it's only one way. And he's like, uh Murph didn't I could I try to get her to come say say goodbye to you, but she she wouldn't do it. And you're just like, that's so heart-wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> also, that's a Kubrick call out to 2001 a Space Odyssey, because that's like the first thing that happens when they go on the mission, like the main character in that movie is he's yeah, watching his, his video screen. Yeah. And then, all, I mean, there's multiple call-outs, obviously. The wormholes at Saturn. In 2001, A Space Odyssey, the, the monolith is on Jupiter, so they go to Jupiter, which is pretty darn similar. And then also, TARS is literally the shape of a monolith. So it feels like Nolan's definitely calling out to his man Kubrick for a, in, in multiple ways throughout this. And I think we, 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 I think we, we might need a TARS corner, because I think TARS and Case, we got to give a shout-out to both of them. One, really clever uh casting for their voices their voices are great the fact that they don't sound like a robot they sound kind of like they they sound like not completely human but more like it's like 75 percent human like set you know like it's basically yeah. there it's more than the 2001 how you know but it's yeah. not like just like a straight up you know kind of thing well it's like, it's like the setting the set systems like 75 percent humor you know all that stuff it's a little bit like siri or alexa i yeah. also like that they had more human though more personality they seem very aware yeah their personality you know and they talk about it with like the 90 percent uh truthfulness because you know there's some advantages to not telling the truth 100 percent of the time and and things of that nature i thought that the robots were actually well-rounded characters yeah plus they were pretty badass too like when they're you know swimming in the water and whatnot that was such a shocker when you first see this thing dash over to pick up Hathaway. It was like, oh my goodness, Tars can run like that. Like it, that was amazing. <laughs> that, but that blew my mind. Yeah, it's it's funny too because like the, the right right then we're building up to usually going into the black hole. That's the end of your movie, which obviously they go back to it. But the fact that like basically at the end of the first act is them going into the black hole, and you're like, oh, what's going to happen here? And they do the, some incredible special effects, and then they had that little moment where the like the little like man mankind's first handshake, and the guy's like, "Don't touch it." And you're actually like, "Who knows?" Because like you don't know if you touch that, is that going to just blow up the ship into shreds? He's trying to control the ship, but he can't. And that like I think that was really well done. That that always like anytime they do anything like bold like that in this, I think it totally plays perfectly. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they pulled it off. Totally shook. They get to the other end of it. And then they're like, all right, now we got to decide which planets to go to. Um, and the problem they have is the closest planet is so close to Gargantuan that they will, the gravity is so heavy that like an hour there is seven years. Isn't that what they say? Um, yeah. And they all, but they are ba- basically, they've had like, is it, they have four or five beacons that like said, come to this planet 
which sucks. Imagine the people that made it to your planet and you're just like, it's not it. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, you can't press the button. You just got to kind of like ride it out by yourself on the planet the rest of your life. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, that's that's why you kind of feel for Matt Damon later on. <laughs> that's like, you got to give like the, the cyanide capsule pill or something. I don't know. Or like give up. I, I would bring up like a, a library of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like it's kind of nuts but it's funny they're like well we obviously we want to go to the closest one first because every time is literally of the essence they're trying to save all of humanity and, and this really one like, was getting the best readings right yeah and they have like the plan b is worst come worst case scenario if we can't get back through we don't solve the gravity equation we're just going to repopulate a planet with these like you know fertilized egg samples or whatever um and obviously mcconaughey is not about that that's not that's not his move so no. then he's ultimately a oh, god so no i was just gonna say you know ultimately they're they're in this situation where he decides that he can fly the plane in a way that it's not going to be inside the gravitational pull and they're just gonna dip down real quick and dip back after they get their samples. And I thought yeah. that was kind of brilliant. He's like, well, what if I did this? And the scientist is like, that would work. We never really thought about it like that. Yeah, I'm not sure how that entirely made sense, but I was like, I buy it. I was like, that, that's the thing where I'm sure a scientist could explain to me why it works. I believe him. When you're with like a, like these people, you know his team worked it out that, that this works. Yeah. yeah. And so I got to ask about the first planet. Were they just going to go straight up Kevin Costner Waterworld on this thing? Like, there's no, no they way. didn't know the the, the lady died because the way the gravity works, the person has only just crashed, but there's been an echo of her. Like, she immediately landed and was like, Oh, I landed on the planet. Then a wave came and killed her. And for, I don't know this, how this made sense, but they said, Oh, it's an echo of time. I don't know. Like, that again, I'm sure it makes sense. Someone explained to me, I bought it in the movie. But like that's why they they get there and they're like we just got to get out of here, it's water because okay. like McConaughey's like time is literally know. of the essence. They also didn't know it was all water because Hathaway says the mountains over there and so, like they think those yeah. mountains what that wave is. They're, think, in- yeah, they're 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 going off the idea that somebody sent a message saying this is a good planet we can repopulate. Literally, yeah. they know it's an air. They only, they're only getting binary pings too from through the black hole. They can't get like the full scope of what these planets look like, which obviously is necessary for this to be a movie. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That, I think I think that's a clever conceit they use. Um, but it is funny that they're like, "Oh, that's a mountain," and then what? Poor Wes Bentley is just like. <laughs> and halfway goes bozo mode she's like we got to get the scientific details i'm like there's enough clearly this isn't the planet get out of there <laughs> apparently she got hypothermia filming this um oh, damn. like her suit filled up with the water and she got cold so they filmed it like in iceland or something um i don't know they filmed yeah they filmed this and the ice plant in like the same area apparently um, but I do love that McConaughey, like one, this is the first time we're like McConaughey, like he's taking lead every mission. He ain't taking lead this mission. He's going to sit inside <laughs> and he's like in there, come on. And she's like, we got to get the, the stuff. Wes Bentley's just kind of like gawking, like, like Wes Bentley, why don't you get back in the ship? <laughs> and then the-, the classic Zimmer with like the music that's going on in the background, there's a very slight tick that you can hear. And it's like ticking every second, very much in the background, but it builds up so well. Also, just like the ship designs in general, we have to give a shout to because they're incredible. I love this little yeah. lander. 
that they have, which like, cause this, this one like ends up like riding the waves and stuff when they start going up the way. Cause obviously they get inside. Wes Bentley doesn't make it. Uh, and Hathaway's like, oh, I can't believe it did that. And then they go up that huge mountain of a wave. They land back on the other side and then the ship has to drain. That's an incredible little moment just to have like, oh, this is just years of time just falling away. And you just got McConaughey is all fired up. <laughs> yeah, the wave keeps coming. You you think that you're gonna get stuck there forever, and your engines are never gonna turn back on because you got the one wave, and then you got the second wave coming right behind it, and then you got to wait for the engines to dry out. I mean, that, that's it's pretty... almost like he's the only one that really truly has stakes, almost because I guess because he has children, he's losing all that time. Yeah. Um, but then they have that great moment where uh, we haven't shouted him out yet. David uh, Jayasi, I think his name is pronounced that way. Um, he plays Romilly. He or before he's like perfect. I'll study the gravity up here. By the time you guys get back, it'll be good. It'll only be like a month or two. <laughs> he's up there, and they get back, and he's. It's been twenty years. <laughs> yeah, and then we flip on the TV and see Timothy Charlemagne's turned into Casey Affleck. I literally like was doing the the Leo gift point every time someone would come on the screen famous, but I was just like. Man. Well, I gotta say, this scene absolutely break because one, you see, they get up there and you get the little rundown from Romilly saying, like, this is what happened when you were gone. I've discovered as much as I could, you know, from the as far as gravity goes, and I just decided to like, why didn't you sleep? And he's like, I didn't want to sleep my entire life away. I didn't think because it makes sense. He would assume that they're dead, right? Why would you assume that they're gonna come back after twenty years? So, but then you see that McConaughey goes straight to that video monitor. He's like, what did I miss? And that's when you get that like time lapse of Casey Affleck coming in, having the kid, and then his kid dies. I was a puddle on the floor during this scene. Because McConaughey, this is the moment. This is his like, should have gotten an Oscar nom for this, just for him just losing it. Because you, I just, I don't know. It just does something to me. Seeing a grown man cry like that, just bawling. And his kid, just seeing the distance growing, like the optimism from his kid at first. And then also like, one, the father's not coming back, so they're upset, but also the world's getting worse. Yeah. So it's like grinding them down. Murph won't talk. Grandpa dies. I feel like, I don't know. Th- th- this is the scene that really, I think, elevates this movie to another level for me. Yeah, yeah. it also, I don't mean to like jump ahead, but you can see how upset McConaughey is. And then they've got to make this decision on, okay, where, what planet are we going to next? And once again, I think this is where McConaughey, like he makes a bad decision here. And it's very interesting how the decision-making process goes because Hathaway says, frankly, like this is my expertise, but she's also in love with uh, one of the, I guess, is it Miller, the astronaut that is on one of the planets that she is recommending to go to. And she's essentially saying, yes, I am in love with the guy who's on this planet, but this is the best planet for us to go check out next. And no, but she's she admits that she's not telling the truth there because Miller's stopped sending three man. years ago. Miller stopped sending a signal, and uh, man's aka Matt Damon, his planet has never stopped sending a signal saying it was a good place to go. Yeah. That's why he says, You want to go there. That, I mean, McConaughey makes the right decision, it's just he just didn't he didn't know that level's the most powerful force in the universe because <laughs> he's, like, he's literally, I mean, th- that's her great line. We love people that are dead. 
what is the good and that that's like one you know one of the better lines that that's like the best thesis for the movie right where he's just like oh these are, you make a good point but i like how it's like the conversation's over after that he's just like well we're going <laughs> yeah it's funny like it, it feels like this crew like really mcconaughey is like the captain he's not necessarily like the pilot like he's kind of leading a lot of the decisions that are being made which is fine but i feel like in real life like the crew has very specific responsibilities and i feel like if hathaway wanted to go to miller's planet or whatever that i think they they probably would be like okay that you're the expert let's do it it feels a little spiteful on his end because he earlier he gets the little whiff that she's in love with him and he like you know figures it out and it's him kind of like putting her in place because she's she's using emotion where he because they've been giving him guff for being emotional this whole time and he's like well now you're not being cold and calculating but like i think i mean it's really tough to argue that he made the wrong decision yeah i know i know i just I think this time when I watched this movie is the first time I felt like McConaughey is definitely not a perfect person. He's kind of mean to her. He's he's mean about the way he goes about it. Yeah, he leaves his daughter in, in a questionable way, and then this this conversation, I was like, oh man, he's kind he's of a little bitter. I think this is coming right off the video thing. I think he's bitter that he missed yeah. out on all that. So now he is kind of more cold. He's like, I already missed out on my children, my my children's entire childhood. Yeah, um, and now it's like. He's kind of like I think there's a bitterness coming through there. But it had good data. McConaughey. <laughs> well, I, you get, like I mean, you spite, get like I feel like out of spite, McConaughey said, "No, we're not going there. You're in love with that guy. That's the only reason why you want to go." That's how she I admitted. That's the only reason she wanted to go. She says, "Yeah, I, we should go to Man's Planet, but love draws me to this." And then she gives her great speech about love being the most powerful force in the universe. Um, perhaps because they're they're all saying that there's a fifth dimension or like fourth or fifth dimension or whatever that we don't understand that unlocks this black hole gravity knowledge. And she's arguing maybe that's the bit we're missing. Um, and, and, but she, I mean, her just line about like, we love people that are dead. Where's the, like the, the like Darwinian advantage to that kind of thing. And you're yeah. just like, uh, she makes points and McConaughey's like, yeah, you make a good point. And then like, she stands up and leaves and he's like, all right, well, cause I think <laughs> even, uh, um, uh, Romilly kind of agrees that's the planet we need to go to. I think yeah. he's tacitly agreeing with McConaughey. That's why he's not really going to bat for her there. Um, but then they make it down to this incredible ice planet with the uh, ice uh, clouds and they get there. And so did you like look in the credits? Did you know Matt Damon was coming, John? No, I had no idea this was Matt Damon. I, I feel like in the theaters it was a shock too because he's definitely not in the promo. Yeah, um, I, I, he didn't go to any premieres or anything and they kind of kept it a secret they just had it like okay on imdb matt damon's credited in this movie but nobody knew like in what capacity i feel like maybe that's awesome this is like kind of like before i mean obviously twitter was a thing but it wasn't as ubiquitous where now it's like spoilers on purpose is very annoying like oppenheimer they're blowing up all this all these casting things are being floated which was really annoying for someone who hasn't seen oppenheimer just likes to blow up anything whoa 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 (laughs) he created the big one um but yeah so now they get there and i think credit to matt damon i'd wait but back to your point i had no idea it was damon credit Uh, to him they like they pull him out and he just the first thing we see matt damon is he just starts openly weeping i think this is a guy that clearly is willing to take like use his movie star status to take interesting choices and decisions and i feel like being in this role of a highly unlikable guy but it works because at first we think 
this is a good guy because it's Matt Damon, our, our old buddy, him and, you know, him and Ben coming around, you know, our old Boston fellas. He comes up and he's like, and instantly, you know, you put him in a nice little sweater, give him a little, a little mug, a little space blanket. And he's like, oh, let me tell you about my planet. It's beautiful, but cold, you know, and he gives like that whole speech and you're just like, all right. <laughs> like, so they do cut really quick. You know, they wake him up and then they cut and then they show him crying. Do you think he's just crying because he's happy he got saved or is he crying because Cooper brought footage of what the Red Sox look like now and Matt Damon just can't handle it? And he's like, I don't want to ever get back. <laughs> that was a factor. The, uh, <laughs> they, um, it's funny. I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's kind of cool that the, the, the look of the planet, I will say this, I'm coming out and saying it. My only uh, squabbles with the movie is that it takes too much time on the water and on this planet. Like once it becomes a little bit of like a small thriller with Matt Damon, just because the movie's so long, I definitely like, I'm more emotionally checked out because everything is so highly emotional and operatic. And the other things where the stakes are so high, cause it's all very personal. And this is kind of like, becomes more of a like an almost like a 1950s sci-fi movie where there's like an evil guy on the planet who's trying to kill him and stuff like that i mean i think it works but it could have been like an unimpeachable classic like a 2001 level maybe if this had been trimmed 20 30 minutes maybe even 20 20 to 25 and i think we have like a perfect movie just tightening it up a little bit you know how I feel about tightening up movies. I would get the scissors out and I would, you know, I would have made this two hours and 10 minutes, but I can't cut any of the Damon. Like I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so perfect when he's headbutting him with the glass. That's great. I'm just saying like, his, like, like I just felt the sag in the middle. I felt a little sag in the middle. And then once they get back to the emotional tesseract and all that, I'm crying all over again. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm going to push back. I don't agree. Okay. Think about this movie, how to shorten it. <laughs> this movie starts with an apocalyptic world and then they're traveling to a wormhole and then they're going to a different solar system Meanwhile, back at home, they're trying to solve the problem of gravity. I mean, these are like the biggest, most ambitious concepts to try to cover and explain effectively. And the fact that he does it in whatever, two hours and 49 minutes or however long this movie is, I think is impressive. Matt Damon is... He's great. He's He could be in so many universes in this movie, I feel like, because you like this could be Will Hunting. Like this was the job <laughs> he ended up taking. He had to go see about a girl and he had to become an astronaut. Or this, like, it could be first man, Matt It's Damon. literally Martian. It's yeah. literally the Martian. He did Martian. this. Oh, yeah. He hit the Martian, except the Martian, he was able to, like, he's like, I got to get home. This guy was like, well, I can't go back to the black hole. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this, is, yeah. this could definitely be Private Ryan's great-grandson also, who just <laughs> also needs to get saved. I, You know what I think it is? It's almost like he's so melodramatically villainous where it's like he's, like, killing them all. He didn't have to kill. He could just been like, guys, I lied. The moment they show up, Guys, I lied. This is the situation. They weren't going to kill Damon on the spot. <laughs> like they had to make him. And I get it doesn't work if he just if he's just like, hey, I, I lied. Well, he's gone nuts. You need to build it up. He's been hanging out on this planet for however many years. Like he's gone. There's I think there's a little bit of the like, oh, he's gone a little bit crazy. He's gone a little loopy. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe then like 
make him even more more nuts i don't know like as far as not having the full trust in this guy he's like oh he's like i didn't i never trusted this guy from the start (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like because then it does lead to that fun moment where they like where they're leaving the planet and he's chasing him he obviously does the the headbutt thing where it's like 50 50 50 50 we both uh you die he's like better chances i've had and you're like all right that's sick that's sick once we get to that point i think just uh accelerate to where i get to the headbutt that's kind of what all. Uh, that's all I really need. Because yeah. then once they go up there, the mask is, and then it's like, cool. yeah, then they, they blow up. I feel bad when they blew up Romilly because I still don't don't really understand what happened there. I don't know. Like he went to the steps of booby trapping. Because <laughs> again, it's like he's like when these people show up to save me, I want to lie to the point that I'm going to kill them, so I can get back, steal a ship, get back to the other ship, and then travel back through the black hole and tell everybody that it's we're, we're screwed. I'm I do sure. think he's gone crazy. That's that's part of it. I, I mean, think that should have been a little bit more delineated. But like, yeah, he clearly he is a little crazy. He does get up there in that ship. And I do love that they like they locked down the autopilot because they did a great. That's another great visual storytelling where we saw that little the the little clamps clamp on, which is just seared into my head every time. I, like that's like the one maybe the image that sticks out to me most. No joke in the whole movie is the successful clamp and the unsuccessful clamp because yeah. like when you see it the first time, you're like, that's just really cool. The second time, it's just like, burp, 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 burp. but then they get up there and they got the spinning and it gets pretty nuts. I think this is some of the better special effects you'll ever see. Like once Damon explodes after his villain monologue, I love that it blows up in the middle. It's always great when somebody's giving a villain monologue and they get cut off abruptly. And then uh, Makane is like, Tars, match the spin. We're locking in. It's so cool. <laughs> What moment is are they back on Earth? They're fighting, and Casey Affleck punches the doctor for trying to help his his kid who's got the lung issues. Because that is going. Oh, that's during the test. Yeah, I didn't because that's like it's happening while he's uh, he's trying to solve. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. Because I just remember saying to myself, "Was like, there's it's like climaxing on Earth right now, and it's climaxing." like in space like this is wild like this this section of the movie is just incredible you know what i think it's almost maybe this scene needs to be trimmed no but it's so cool i don't know it's tough because it's like you do this intense action scene and then leads into another one so it's kind of like a little but like this you can't i wouldn't want to trim any of this because it just looks so cool that's almost like his man he, he has multiple confrontations with man that i feel like could be truncated into this sequence right something like that like if it just been like quicker if like they immediately went into space or something like that but i think it looks so cool it's you know again the shadow work all that they successfully pull it off and then they're like we have a plan b i think this is they just have they they run into so many different plans that it becomes confusing at some point because the movie's so long where he's like all right we're going to go back into the tesseract i'm sending tars into the tesseract he's going to collect data and then send it back to the black hole. This is where I got kind of confused. Cause I was like, why didn't you do this from the beginning? But like, cause they, they sent, cause right. They send in the plan is to send TARS into the black hole. And they don't know. They don't know that the Tesseract. Well, Rom says this could happen. Like we but might, his plan is to send TARS into the actual black hole, not knowing about the Tesseract, Tesseract aside, sending him in the black hole collecting data from the black hole about gravity and then shooting that back to earth which i'm like well then they could have just done that in the first place they didn't have to go through the black hole at all that's why i was confused in the moment i was like this is a little 
I don't know. I, I don't know about that. They find out, though, too, that because he gets the video from Jessica Chastain that says we haven't solved the equation. This oh. has been a whole hour. Oh, shit. No, we forgot about Michael Caine lying, dude. Yeah. yeah. So like oh, that, they didn't know. They thought maybe we're solving this equation back at home. Tars is also providing. Value. So you're saying that maybe that makes it that makes more sense. Then. He did it out of desperation because Michael Caine didn't solve the gravity equation. Yes. 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 Because we have that great moment where she like sends in the message and she's like, did you know? Did you always know? And he like yeah. thinks that it, they're back. And then it turns out like, nah, she's just like shitting on him. Um, or she does the, she sends a message that Michael Caine died where he does like, don't go softly into that good night um, yeah. or whatever. And great moment, great Michael Caine moment. Um, and she's just shook to her core. And she has that weird feeling where it's like, basically that clearly he's like a father figure to her, a mentor. And he's revealing in his dying moments that he lied about everything that she believed and lived her entire life for, to to accomplish. And then she like sends that brief message to Brant, your father died. Almost leaves. Then she's like, did you know? Did you know it was all a lie? And you're just like, holy smokes. Because like ultimately, was their plan, if they figure out the gravity equation, they're planning to make those ships, like because they're inside a centrifuge, right? Like the building they're in. They're just hoping to fly those directly into space without having to launch them. Is that the plan? Yes. That's yes. what gravity will allow them to do is just right. travel. That's sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so, like, what, think about that it. That makes more sense find, now. They're trying to find a new home for yeah, yeah, clearly. life. But the second thing is, how the hell are you going to get all these people on Earth to that new yeah. home? And that's what that's the whole point so of the you gravity. make me feel better about like i was confused why he's like well we're gonna send tars in the black hole and he's gonna get the gravity info and i was like well, why don't you just do that from the first place but all right because again i don't doubt I, I know that any any scientific questions i have in this i feel comfortable in thinking i'm wrong i know whatever nitpick i have will be wrong and someone can explain it to me if i like you know if i wanted to sit down and read whatever some forty thousand word blog that explains which i'm sure there's several that do that for this movie yeah but it was like, I mean, how were you, were you a little shook, John, when they're like, Michael Caine was like, it was all a lie? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a surprise. I, the fact that he's like allegedly so solved it years ago and found out that it's not feasible, but led on that this was all happening. I don't know if I really understood his motivation for doing that. Um, besides trying to keep some kind of hope alive for some of these other people in which case i don't really understand why he would on his deathbed uh release this information um yeah i think it's because she kind of figured him out she caught him at the end of it she called him out he like dies when she figures it out that he lied about the time she's like you, didn't t you, you account you're not accounting for the change of time so yeah i mean i was i was shook for sure i mean and and you know I, but i but i was stoked to see the next scene which you know was the the climax on earth while the climax in space well i do like that he tricks uh hathaway where she thinks that they're gonna like loop around and go to that new the, the miller planet because basically this means right. they only have so much fuel that he won't be able to go back to earth mm -hmm. um, but then he like drops out with uh with tars he like falls out from the little like side cock co cockpit like a little batmobile style falls out falls into the black hole and she's like no 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 and then is again, this is when he's clearly going for this 2001 moment. Um, and it plays. I think they do a really cool job with it. It's also an Armageddon moment when Bruce Willis throws Ben Affleck uh, to because Ben Affleck gets the short straw. And then Bruce Willis like actually sacrifices himself because yeah. I mean, it's like the, it reminded me of that a lot, too. 
that rule was yeah it was like i think just I, again like the way that he does special effects and i'm sure it's a mix of different kind of things it totally plays and i love that he's like all right i'm gonna pull the um what not the escape hatch but the uh whatchamacallit where he gets shot out like you would have from your point yeah, he ejects, yeah. He, he ejects himself into space, which is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that that rule. yeah. That I mean, rule. cool, but like you can speculate like what would happen if you go in a black hole. Nobody knows. Nobody I knows. mean, I mean, if I'm not gonna spec, I'm no scientist, but like I just feel like you're just dead. Like you're just going at such an insane speed. But no, well, they say that you get knows. stretched. They say you get stretched like spaghetti. Yeah, because like, I mean, like you just like I mean, you yeah. infinitely get stretched like spaghetti. So like who knows? I think we, it don't, really we don't need to get into it. But, that's but I love what's it. Cool about it is nobody can say that it that's that this couldn't happen. That you eject into a black hole and you're in a tesseract communicating back. Because that's actually a good point. That's a good point. No one's ever proven this false. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It totally I mean, plays. They talk about like this fifth dimension and how they they whoever they is this being or these aliens or whatever they are they have no concept of time time is not one of their dimensions so that's why they're able to communicate back in time through the bookcase to through the into the house which is pretty cool yeah but, i mean this is where the movie i think loses a lot of people but it's also the first time you're really seeing like a supernatural situation in a way um but I think it checks out. I mean, it's, I like, you don't get this supernatural experience until like 80% of the way into the movie. Like we didn't have to deal with aliens. Like a lot of these movies try to do or anything like that. And this is more like a, it's like a supernatural way for somebody to communicate. And it also has to do with like time travel a little bit because they're speaking back in time. I mean, there's a lot of really cool concepts going on there. Nothing that's like hokey in my opinion. That's also beautifully shot because he's in that, that test rag you've got the stretched out books and all the colors around him and he's pushing yeah. it i mean it's really well done for something that i think if you do it wrong people are like really turned off by and i'll yeah. say that i think this was some of mcconaughey's best acting was in these scenes where he's so overwhelmed like right. he, he's like he can't barely he can barely talk he's so don't, don't let me go murph don't let me go like, like, no. <laughs> even before that he's just like <gasps> like he can't even really he's articulate words he's just he's he's so shook by what he's seeing it's just i thought that like he really kind of took control of the movie there and, and it was pretty special, special. I like I, yeah i also awesome. love how they use tars as a way to like explain it to the audience a little bit yeah. i think you need that i think if that's not going on you're just you're like what's the, what is going like it's just too opaque and you don't like having tars kind of like pseudo narrate what's going on i think really helps for the audience and you know it was funny i feel like when i first watched it i was one of those people that was a little turned off by the scene because i was like i was thrown off by the way that the time worked where it's like played like a thriller scene but theoretically he has infinite amount of time to figure this out inside this tesseract and you have like the home scene with the fire and Casey Affleck just becoming like a mustache twirling villain, killing his kids. <laughs> um, but now I watch it and I'm like, oh, it plays. Cause like you've seen, you know, the world the way it is. People will do stuff against their own greater, better interests because they feel like they're right, you know? And I feel like Casey Affleck, his character, you buy it. You know, this is a guy whose kids have like, he's seen his son die from like lung problems and he's like, the scene the world basically been dying so he's like a broken man it kind of makes sense and i felt like i think you know that's the that's the complaint people have is it becomes a little corny in the sense that love is the greatest force in the universe i've become an old i become a sap 
in my older age totally plays for me now when i was a younger more um jaded youth i was rolling my eyes but now i'm like ah this is so touching it's so moving and i feel like just because again it's mcconaughey's performance he's bringing that emotion he's so upset you're reliving the whole thing where he's like i'm trapped he thinks he's trapped in a box forever seeing his daughter you know like doing all this stuff, and he's wishing he could that's so bad he's seeing everything that he missed out on too he's like I'm seeing the mistakes I made. It's like anybody, if you're seeing the mistakes you perceive that you made and you wish you could change them, like it's probably for the best that we can't see that, like, you know, like reliving your, like your biggest regrets and you being able to view it like that. And then the idea that he just finally was able to collect himself you, with the help of TARS, which I think totally helps you. He, not only is he helping Kane, he's helping the audience have a better understanding of what's happening there. That's ingenious. And then like, it just all comes full circle. And he, I don't know how he's able to, send out on the watch i just love that he's like we'll, we'll we'll send out all your gravity information i don't know how big the notebook is that explains the gravity equation <laughs> that he's just sending numbers through the watch in i still don't understand how again again i'm sure somebody can explain it to me scientifically morse code, yeah. it. well it's more it's not morse code anymore on the watch right isn't the watch actually giving numbers yeah i yeah. i don't fully yeah i think but... the watch is the purpose of the watch is that they're like it's way too confusing to explain like the gravity through morse code so we're going to have the watch because he, he's like he literally tar says how do you know that, that she'll have the watch and he's like because i gave it to her and you're just like fist pumping you're like yeah 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 i'm her dad and then like and then it's very abrupt i feel like you like kind of like it all comes full circle and then what it just cuts the black yeah, yeah. he he yeah, and then he's woken he up. Wakes up. And I, this is like when you're still kind of confused in the moment. I, and again, I totally don't. I still don't fully understand how they pulled him out of it. You know, like wh- who grabbed him, who picked him up? Was he just floating in space? Was I love? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that that at this point, I don't think any of that matters. But exactly, like, I don't. But yeah. like, yeah. I love my one of my favorite parts of the movie is when he's like, they wake up up and they're like, yeah, we're somewhere around Saturn in the Cooper Space Station, and he's like, oh, you guys named it after me. it's like nah dude your daughter i love that he's so proud but he's like also still like i saved the world like you guys named this after me (laughs) yeah it kind of it kind of rules i like how she's like she's coming to see you because i I think maybe this is the part where i get maybe this is the part that like we could trim two minutes off of because it's almost too much information where i get confused where i'm like oh they're playing baseball outside i don't know entirely like so we're so far in the future. Do we have, are we on other planet? We're not because of the show that Brant's on her own planet. Um, that, that's, that is confusing to me too. Yeah. Th- this part is hard to explain, but I like, it still works, but. Yeah, it works emotionally. Right, like, it just logically, there's a point where I'm like, solved, why? Yeah. They've solved gravity. So they've moved whatever kind of order, uh, building this is or whatever it is. This, uh, I guess it's a circular, like centrifuge kind of situation. It's now on near Saturn somewhere. So I think they're slowly moving people off Earth. And I think the next step is, okay, let's go check out this planet through the, the wormhole here that Hathaway but is I'm at. still confused by the... Why hasn't that happened food? yet? Why do they have food? Like, that's where, like, how do they solve, like, there's, like, there's uh, grass fields on this, on this ship. And I'm like, well, if you're able to do it here, how, why can't you do it on Earth? It that's- becomes a little confusing for me because i don't know what the gravity equation has to do with that because i thought the whole point of the gravity equation was to get to the new planet 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer for that one. Yeah, so this is where I'm saying they show they give me almost a little too much information. That's all I'm saying. Where I'm like An expert is gonna listen to this and be like, these idiots. Like, I hope I hope we get some fan feedback where people are like, you guys, this is how it all works. Like, I would love to do that. I think yeah, I, listen, again, I'm sure that there's an explanation that I am not capable of, you know, understanding from just watching the movie. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like someone wants to come on here and tell me how a lightsaber works too. That'd be fine. I'm fine with it just being a movie. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, it says uh, you know what to... you know what really works when a movie is easy to follow and understand and explain for the first eighty-five to ninety percent, and then the last ten to fifteen percent, you leave confused. That always works because you're so bought into the movie, and then you're thinking about the movie after you leave. You're like, what the hell just happened? Like that formula, I think, is very effective. When you start a movie being confused for the first like whole half of it, that's yeah. when it sucks. That's true. That you bail out early. Once you're in the world this, and you understand this, the this the is a very positive podcast. We praise a lot of movies, but I have to say, I am not a Westworld guy because I've been confused since like the first episode. And I think you need to like let people get bought in, let us follow what's going on. And then use the ending to like make us ask those questions or be confused. Not the well, entire time. I'm Love pretty sure that one. Max took Max took down uh, HBO. Now it, once HBO Max, now Max Max has taken down Westworld from its streaming platform. I think. Um, so really, <laughs> um, yeah, they're will move to different. I guess they're moving into different streaming service. Um, uh, you can thank Warner Brothers for that. But um, also funny, funny thing when I was like looking at the Wikipedia page to, to see if they ex- explained it in the plot description about like what happened there. They didn't, but they did use the term spaghettified, yep. um, which is kind of cool. Like that's what's supposed to happen. No one knows, to, to, to your point, no one knows what happens to the black hole. People just think he'll be spaghettified and stretched out in, in, into infinite. But um, his daughter does show up played by um, uh, the great, the uh, the great, of course it's slipping my mind. Um uh ellen burston um great great actress um alice doesn't live here anymore um but uh she gives the whole speech the whole family's there i do love that like her all his all his progeny all his like great grandchildren everybody's there and nobody wants to talk to him <laughs> no one's like hey grandpa great great grandpa well, fucking how weird would it be if your 127 year old great grandpa looked like Mc- prime mcconaughey <laughs> yeah. i think it's cool i think it's great that they had that immediate connection this is where like the, the performance of ellen burston just shines through where like you totally believe that they had that like for him again it's been like a month for him who knows how like how like how much has he, he been awake through probably been like even like maybe weeks um and he's just like she just does that great line where she's like uh uh i knew and everyone else told me that you wouldn't come back but i knew you would because you're like my dad told me you would come back and, you know yeah. i'm trying again i'm trying again and then she's like nobody should see their child die um get out of here then she starts monologue monologuing over him like deucing out and she's like you should you should go find brant she's probably just waking up from the long sleep um you know doing that whole thing and then they do the incredible they cut to like you know half the way on the planet and she takes the helmet off which probably when i first watched it when i was in my early 20s i probably wasn't picking up on like oh that's the planet we're good but i like now watching it, I'm like yeah that's the planet we're good yeah. <laughs> i'm getting pumped up and i think it really ends on a high note and i feel like they he totally dare i say lands the ship uh at the end of the movie here yeah i mean i agree um definitely it lost me 
for a couple minutes. I'm not going to lie. But I really loved how it ended. I loved the fact that Murphy was still alive. You just have to assume that Casey Affleck probably refused to get on whatever like please just like i'm going down the ship <laughs> he's still on earth growing corn he's still on earth trying to grow corn coughing up a lung but uh i do I, like that he's like sitting there when he, you know they made that reproduction of his house and they do have that great because again this probably could have been trimmed but i like that he's sitting there with a beer and he's like looks like we're looking to the past and not to the future <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway I do want to give a little shout out to the Al Pacino Switcherino. Oh yeah, uh, again, got- this is a, the, the Al Pacino Switcherino is if we could, we're not taking away this movie. We're not saying we wish it was. It was we would like to see Al Pacino at the age of this movie. So this is this is late period Al Pacino. This is a uh, you know we're like once upon a time in Hollywood kind of Al Pacino. Um, little a little before that, but if we're gonna recast him in a role, what would it be? So I'm going to go with, you said this changed everything when you said Murph was originally supposed to be a boy. Uh, the very last Murph scene when she's on her deathbed, Pacino would have been electric as as that Murph. The reveal, the Pacino reveal at the end uh, of the movie would have probably, that would have made it an unimpeachable classic without question. <laughs> I also really like Topher Grace, but... If Murph was dating Pacino, that would have been uh, pretty impressive. Or just Pacino as the voice of Tars. <laughs> that's the that's it. I mean, debate settled. That would be incredible. I think that would like I'd want it like that, but I'd also like it in universe. There is an actor named Al Pacino who offered his voice to the NASA space program. <laughs> like they, they in the movie they explained like, wait, is that Al Pacino? <laughs> McConaughey. He's like, is that my buddy from Two from the Money? <laughs> I think without question, yeah, the layup is like the Lithgow or the or the Michael Caine. The correct answer is Pacino Tars. That was his, like, in the world of this movie, I don't know what year it takes place. Okay, 2067. So, like, his dying thing, the last thing Pacino did was gave his voice to NASA for free. Can you imagine? Al Pacino does not do enough voice acting work. (laughs) All the cars, Chase, if every single one of them, all the robots just have Pacino voices in the movie, in the universe, their Siri is just Al Pacino. Yeah. But it's also like you can pick Godfather Pacino where he's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Or you can go like Scarface Pacino with the accent. You can go... Uh, the sliding scale. Yeah, you can do the... Um, that is like, if they literally had him, like literally if you had him like where they're saying like, you know, they do the little percentage corrections and you're just like, uh, can I have 78 Pacino, uh, 80, 85 Pacino, 90, 95 Pacino, heat Pacino. <laughs> You know that if they had a scene like that where they were like just like putting his voice in, that hundred percent Pacino is just Vincent Hanna mode. Yeah, no, you go, <laughs> you go one hundred percent Pacino, and Tars is yelling at Anne Hathaway that Miller's got a great ass in your heads all the way up it. I think I'm thinking about all the Pixar movies that I want Pacino to to replace the like. <laughs> I um, think without question. I like that like they've worked together in the past no one has a he's worked with him during insomnia i think legitimately not a bit 
that little little fun if they had a little fun thing like that in there and Pacino and they like explained it like a little, a little a little aside by a character where they're setting the parameters that would be make the movie just a little bit better just a little bit better <laughs> I gotta say a couple things and then I think we get into double feature if yep. that makes sense all right so I just I wrote down a lot for this movie I just wanted to bring up a few facts that I thought were pretty interesting um, first of all, a sequel has been discussed. Apparently Warner Brothers is pushing for one, which I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I hope that's not the case. Um, I kind of feel like I'm good, but at the same time, if there was an interstellar sequel, I would see it. I'd, I'd be more inclined to see that than most sequels we, we keep seeing today. Um, so I think that that might be interesting. Uh, another thing too, back to earth. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be interesting in the sense that like it would have to be different from this movie because clearly it wouldn't be Earthbound, right? So it would be entirely like that's the only thing Honestly, that'd be interesting about it. It would have to be a totally different story. You know what the story would probably be? It would be Hathaway decided to do Plan B, colonize that planet, and then the humans get there, and then there's like civil war. I mean, that to me, I feel like that's been done, but like no, that that's what I want. I want like like the way they used to do sci-fi sequels, like Planet of the Apes, like two, three, four, all those, like where it's like a lower budget, set it on the planet and make it a little bit more grounded. I think that would be sick. Yeah. I mean, it'd be like humans like fighting in a new planet against the like it would be kind of like Blade Runner in a way. I don't know. It would be pretty cool. Um, but I don't think we need it. The other thing is I know you guys were into the Matt Damon character. For some reason, Christopher Nolan wrote a comic about Dr. Mann after the movie came out. So like, you can learn more about what Dr. Mann was up to prior to going to this planet. Oh my which God. Maybe it was like him trying to make Dr. Mann like a cool, like like you're supposed to like him kind of character. And he's just such a putz in this movie. Give so, me all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are the two things I just wanted to, I wanted to mention. Also, uh, one real quick thing, I guess. Movies very detailed. If you pay attention to the books on the bookshelf, they're all movies that inspired Christopher Nolan and inspired this film. So it's like, there's like a Stephen King novel on there that the like kind of yeah. had similarities to Corn and the I Apocalypse. Think like the Big Nowhere, which is like a that's a James Elroy novel from like L.A. Confidential. I, that's on my shelf. So like I noticed that when it showed up, I was like, I wonder. And I was like, you knew it was a like purpose decision. I was like, I wonder why that 1950s L.A. detective book is on that shelf but i'm sure yeah he read it there's like classics there's it's it's pretty cool that he used that detail like that's a little easter egg in the movie i guess i'll dig that and i also say that like murph's room is just tight like that that bookshelf for like a kid or whatever like she basically needs like a ladder one of those like sliding ladders to get to the top of all her books like it's a tight it's a tight room yeah I feel like it's got to be in that time if like TVs aren't happening, books probably came back in a big and bad way. Like books were just happening, and they probably would have been like a. They probably aren't printing new ones, so it's like they're hot commodities. Getting a cool book, or new ones are like propaganda. So like you know she didn't have any of that in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right, are you ready for the double feature? Yes. What is it? Double feature. There you go. Okay, so I, I, you know, I considered contact, but shout out. I think that I was between two movies, but you shouted it out, so I don't have to. That's great. I think that I think that could be a great episode someday. I think that's one of the great sci-fi movies. Um, where I landed was, uh, the right stuff, which again I would love if we could cover someday. Philip Kaufman a movie. I'm not talking about the TV series remake. I haven't seen that one. Um, but the right stuff. I've, I've, I think I've alluded to the movie before. Um, but 
you know, it's about it's a movie about the founding of the space program, starting out with the um, the Navy and Air Force pilots who were recruited um, to, you know, to to create space flight. You know, it starts out with Chuck Yeager and breaking the sound barrier and it goes from there. Um, it's a, it's an epic. It's like a, a three hour epic. But like, again, it's one of those movies where I don't know how they did the special effects. They completely hold up. It like blows blows my socks off. Young Dennis Quaid at his most um, charismatic. Also, uh, yeah, Sam Shepard. Really, he's at the most charismatic anyone's ever been. But Ed also Harris. Ed Harris looking like a snack, um, showing showing everybody that you can have male pattern baldness and still be a hunk. Um, I think it's one of the great space movies. Very entertaining. Similar thing where it's like a long movie, but you don't really necessarily feel the time. Um, and I think it's definitely worth checking out i think it's uh it's a movie i return to every couple of years just because i feel like it just it's one of my favorites i think it's one of the best movies about space we've ever done awesome all the right stuff um without further ado we might as well go into the rankings portion of the show brady you want to go ahead and break down what the ratings are and then give us yours and then i will go and then brian you can kind of wrap it up and tell us why you chose this movie. Okay. The, the way we go is we have not the goat, one of the goats and the goat, not the goat simply means uh, the way I do it. A one of the goats is a three and a half star movie of uh, the goat is a four star movie. So if I say not the goat, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it's just not necessarily like an all timer because we don't, we, we don't go in on negativity around here. And the little little curly cue, we never really talk about this enough. If all three of us name a movie The Goat, then it goes on Goat Everest. And I don't know, do we we have to have we should have a list maybe on our letterbox page on what movies have made Ghost Goat, Goat Everest. Two. Um, we Point got Raiders Break. of the Lost Ark. Point Break, sorry, Point Break, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What else? That's it. That's it. It's good company. Um, so I guess I'll kick us off with the, with my score. Um Going into it, I probably would have said one of the goats. I was taken by this movie, this viewing. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying it's an unimpeachable perfect movie, but I think it's an all timer. I'm saying it's the goat. Um, I'm going to call it the goat movie about black holes. <laughs> and then, um, you know what I'm going to say? I'm actually going to say it's the goat McConaughey performance. I know we didn't we didn't talk about McConaughey enough probably in this one because there's just so much cast to to go go on, and um but I just think I don't know if there's been a movie that's made me cry. There's like movies that make me cry at the end or something, but like multiple moments in this, and I I I'm a little bit softer than I used to be. It used to be like a it used to be tough to make me cry. Now it's not that's not the hardest thing in the world, but there's something about this movie where it's about you know it's clearly about you know being a parent. Not that I am, but like I can you know have some form form of empathy and you know i just I, I find myself totally taken by the gravity of everything going on no, no pun intended and i found the special effects completely hold up they're 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 never gonna age i don't i feel like i think they're great the music the score by zimmer is so good the script as much as it confuses me i you can just tell that they have such a grasp on the material that i have no doubts that any any of my misunderstandings are lackings on my on my behalf and I just feel like there's movies aren't taking swings like this at the this level of budget, uh, original concept, movie stars, because clearly they like, you know, they went for the cast, the big cast. 
And I just, I was taken with this movie. I really, I really found myself by the end of it being like, I, I want to see more movies like this. And it just was a testament to Nolan where I was considering this probably like a mid tier Nolan, if not like, not like the worst by any means, but I thought it was probably like in the middle of the pack, but this is probably up there in the mid top for me. I think it's like a, definitely a movie that I'm going to be returning to. And I'm sure I will be for the rest of my life. It's like one of those movies. So I think, yeah, it's the goat for me. Okay. I'm going to say that I also went into this with a ranking in mind and, and got persuaded. Otherwise I'm going to go with one of the goats. I thought that it was going to be not the goat for me. I just, this type of movie usually is not up my alley. Um, it, uh, I'm, I alluded to how long it was, but I was so shocked with how much I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Three and a half stars. It was very close to being the goat for me. I honestly, we talked a little bit about where you can cut some fat for a movie. That's three hours. It did not feel like it was three hours for me. Like I, I really was engaged the entire time. I can't echo enough about the McConaughey thing that Brady just talked about. I really do think that this was a very important movie for him as an actor. It cemented him as one of the biggest movie stars of the generation. Um, I think this was actually a role that he was sort of born to play. I can't really picture too many other people pulling this one off. But for me, it came down to the audio and visual uh, aspects of this movie. The Zimmer score and the cinematography were both outstanding i could not get over how beautifully shot it was how clear the sheen was how great the music was the ups the downs the emotion the one thing that held it back was maybe i'm a little bit more proud than you are brady but i didn't understand all of it and some of the storytelling was a little bit lost on me and maybe it's, I'm not a father yet. So like, I don't really have that connection, but overall I was blown away and all things considered, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I liked Batman Begins. I liked the dark Knight. I didn't love the dark Knight rises. Some of the other stuff that Nolan's done, this really knocked my socks off. And so very glad that we watched it. Sad that it's not going to go on go to Everest, but extremely impressed with everything that went into it yeah so oh man i'm really like on the fence for me between the goat and one of the goats i guess i'll just say it's the goat um it's not the problem for me though is like uh, there to me 2001 a space odyssey is the goat space travel movie and that's why i'm hung up and that's why I'm saying that I, I'll i go back. Interstellar is one of the goats because 2001 A Space Odyssey is the goat of this genre, I would say. But Interstellar is firmly number two for me. I can't think of another space travel movie that I like more other than 2001. Um, I think what I appreciate most about it is the score. Hans Zimmer, like I said before, I think this is maybe the best score ever created. What I love about it is its originality. I think that it can be confusing at times, but for the most part, like I said, the first 85, 90% of the movie, you're into it. I mean, the whole 100% of the movie, you're into it. It's just you understand it, and then it's, you leave it asking questions, and I think that's great. And I think a movie that is so ambitious that 
tackles the theory of relativity. It tackles a fifth dimension and what it's like in a a world, I guess, where there maybe isn't a dimension of time like they talked about. They talk about what happens in a black hole. It's just like so many cool concepts to think about and really simmer on. And they did it in a way that was effective, that physicists are actually are like got behind and said like, no, this is actually really well done. I think that that is incredible. I feel like they stuck the landing. I, I, the only thing I would ever criticize about this movie, I do feel like some of the relationships between the astronauts were maybe a little flawed and I didn't buy into him as much as I did his relationship with his family and everything like that. But overall outstanding movie. It is very close to being the goat, but for me, it's uh it's one of the goats. One last thing that I wanted to mention was how much I loved all the role players. Like this was definitely like a McConaughey was like Nikola Jokic and everyone else was the rest of the nuggets and everybody showed up. Like it was amazing. Like, so shout out to all those guys. And so Brady, what do the people have for episode 12? So I was uh, I, I was having trouble deciding what to pick. Obviously, it's always a uh, tough one to decide. Now is I I've been on a World War II kick. I feel like ever since um, Saving Private Ryan, perhaps. Um, and I feel like it's time to go back to that war. But I want to do it in a uh, different kind of space in a movie that could ta- tackles it in a completely different way. And it's also an entry into one of the big you know those big hitter name filmmakers that we haven't touched yet. So the pick is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Now, Bang. yeah, I don't know. I, 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 this is another one where I'm not, not sure where I'm going to land on it. I, I have like my opinions on it. I haven't watched it in a really long time. You know, I saw it in theaters back in the day. Um, it has not been one I've revisited as much as say like a Reservoir Dogs or a Pulp Fiction or Jackie Brown. Um, I like how I laid those th- those three out like it's a, a understood, but um. I'm excited. I'm excited to rewatch. I'm excited. I think it'll be a good discussion regardless. Um, I think there's a lot of meat on the bone uh, on this one. So especially where Tarantino's career is after it and before it, uh, all the all the elements go in. So it's definitely a pivot point, I feel like, for his filmmaking. Or one could say a pit point for his filmmaking. Our first Brad Pitt movie as well. So it's a cast. What a cast. We got Brad Pitt and Quentin Tarantino. Coming in hot next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Be sure to check us out on the socials, Movie Go Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, be sure to download, rate, and subscribe. We've been having a lot of fun with this. 11 episodes in, no slowing us down now. Love you guys. Uh, thank you to Austin Phil for our theme song as well. Bye.